Is anyone interested in Napoleon? What my buffer bluffs about? Aha. Uh-huh. Is it going to be a little short? Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Because Napoleon was. Sh- yes, we got five it. foot seven. Yeah. Average yeah. height for the time. Are you five foot seven, Dan? Yeah. Average and height for the time. Have you ever tried to take over France? <laughs> Once or twice. How did it go? Right, Not well. <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to another edition of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today we have... Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler. And I'm John Farthing. Yes, you are. You did it again. You went, I'm John Farthing. <laughs> I try not to, do, deliberately not to do that. Hello! I'm just trying to get the correct level of excitement for Peter <laughs> and a right, Peter scale. Okay. Give that, me that, hand. that was adequate. That was adequate. It was good, but it felt inauthentic. Yeah. It. I mean, it's always inauthentic, isn't it, really? Hello. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't mean it. I mean, most of the times when I'm saying hello, I'm thinking, oh, God, I've got to do some kind of social interaction now. <laughs> I think that's how you should start. That's how you <laughs> so, have you been enjoying Monarch? I have very much. I'm more happy for Ian than I am from the show, Ian Mayer. Oh, <laughs> right. Can you imagine his sad little face that it being a bit rubbish? Yeah. I think he would have found things to like in it, even if it had been a bit mm-hmm. rubbish. But luckily, it's not. I... Are you saying Godzilla fans are sad and deluded generally? No, they're, ro- <laughs> they're robust. <laughs> People who are such big fans of things will find the good in yeah. most yeah. of it. I yeah. remember you at two o'clock in the morning come out of Rise of Skywalker going, it was okay. <laughs> trying. I, was try- I tried. <laughs> I've since seen the light. Uh, um, the costumes in the Marvels were pretty good, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. That's that thing. I, I go to see like a lot of theatre and... I know like a lot of the people who are involved in this stuff and they, it's very awkward when they come up to you afterwards and they'll think, well, the set design was really good. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that seems to be the euphemism in the theatre world for you've, you've been in a not very good play. Yeah, but I, I generally like to find the positives and focus in on the stuff I liked mm. about something, even if I didn't like most of it. Because especially if you go on anywhere online, the negativity will shout a lot louder than the positivity. Luckily for Monarch, it is mm. really good. Yeah, it's just fun. It's nicely balanced between monster action and family drama and there's clear characters and emotional stakes and 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 it's just good, isn't it? Which is I'm 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 actually a little bit surprised. Yeah, well, I enjoyed Godzilla vs Kong because pretty much first time back in the cinema after mm. the pandemic. I liked Kong Skull Island a lot. The other two Western Godzilla films that have been out recently, not been so keen on. The one with Brian Cranston, I really wanted to like and didn't find much to like. It was decent while he was in it, and <laughs> then they killed him off. It's not a spoiler. What would spoil it for you is if you go watch the film, don't it? Shit. But then after that, his whole story is taken up by his son, who is the most boring, generic individual in the history of cinema, and, and it's just a load of grey, swirling images on a screen. It's yes. So, I, yeah, I was worried Monarch would be more mm-hmm. of that, and it's not. Yeah. It's really good. It's really interesting. I'm looking forward to new episodes when they come out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Skull Island was my favourite, yeah. Yeah. and it seems to have the tone of that a little bit, that likeness to it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what they're doing right that Marvel is doing wrong, because it's kind of a similar thing where it's, you know, it's a TV spin-off of a series of films... It's found another way in. It's a way that works better on television. Shady organisations slowly uncovering mysteries. Yeah. It, it works as a TV format. Whereas if you'd done Monarch Legacy of Monsters as a single two-hour film, it would have had to be a completely different thing and it wouldn't have quite worked. If you tried to do Godzilla versus Kong over eight hours, Ian Mayer would be thrilled. <laughs> but you know, I'm not quite sure yeah. how long you could drag that out for. But I like a shady organisation, like a Dharma Initiative from Lost, or mm-hmm. like the companies and the agencies in Fringe or something like that. And Monarch in this series feels like that. You're just slowly finding out more about this weird group that was set up to study monsters. What do they know? How much do they know? What could they stop? Why are they doing it? And it's not outright answering those questions, but it's making you want to know. We're getting just enough monsters for it to justify the title. Yeah. So we get yeah. a bit, little, you know, a little bit of a monster in each episode, but it's much more about the people. I think Wyatt and Kurt is a master stroke of casting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And another one of the worries might have been, oh, well, it's a TV budget. They're not going to do any monsters in it. It's going to be a monster show without monsters. Uh-huh. But then you remember it's an Apple TV budget. Yes. And actually yeah. they could afford any monsters they want. Yeah. I mean, the big man himself has turned up in two out of the three episodes. Mm. Have you ever seen Ghoulies 5? That the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. No, that's Critters. So oh, you had okay. you had Gremlins, which was the top tier, and then you had sub tier Gremlin ripoffs. So there was Ghoulies, uh, Critters, a couple of others, but the Ghoulies were like the straight to video low rent Gremlins. And by the time you got to Ghoulies Five, the budget didn't stretch to any Ghoulies. So you had <laughs> Ghoulies Five with no Ghoulies. Oh no! So how how did they get around that? They would. Time travelers trying to find the ghoulies, maybe, but I don't think they 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 ever found them. It's no. like waiting for Godot with ghoulies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's a howling sequel as well. Spoilers where... for waiting for Godot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a howling sequel where every shot of a werewolf is just cut from previous howling films with mm. no consideration of continuity or anything whatsoever. So we're lucky we didn't get either of those options in Monarch. Speaking of surprises. Oh, yes. Do you want to surprise us, Daniel? I could. So I've got... uh, Oh, God, it's big. More ghoulies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're coming tomorrow. Um, Pardon? Like, pardon? I was doing a Samuel Beckett joke, but not the Quantum Leap one. (laughs) He never got home. Right. Spoilers. So anyway, I have got some little nerdy gifts for everyone Ooh. that I thought you might like to open on the podcast. Oh, okay. uh, Because I, on my way here today, I went via the Lego shop. Ooh. And, excuse me while I rummage in my sack of fun. Why do we let John have a sack of fun? And John, we know what he puts in there. And <laughs> yeah, Dan is a much better Santa Claus than John. Well, we shall see. Much better suited to it, I think. And currently, Lego are doing a range of Marvel Studios minifigures where you don't know which one you're going to get. Ah. And I've got one for each of you to unwrap. I've got one for Hazel as well, though she couldn't make it today. So Andy gets two. Lucky Andy. Um, Amy and I have got two of our own. We managed to get Moon Knight and Kate Bishop. Oh, Oh, nice. good. But there's a whole range of Marvel figures. And I just thought I'd see who you were going to get. And whether you were going to be excited by your Marvel character or whether it was going to be from one of the mcu tv shows that you don't like or one of the marvels in which case you'll probably throw it back in my face <laughs> that's amazing thank you so much oh, do we brilliant. have to take on the persona of the character we get for, for the, the rest of the, the episode right. yes all right yeah, oh, you've no got to, they've got to be constructed they do but you might be able to tell who's who from their I've face got, let's see what i've got oh this might be kate bishop i can see a bow and that means you oh, get a pizza dog. I get a pizza dog. So John gets a Kate Bishop. That makes me very happy. More quality audio content here as we all try to build our Lego figures. <laughs> as I have a real-life pizza dog, I am very, very pleased by this. Andy? I know who I've got, and uh, you, you have to guess who I've got from the accent that I do. Oh, Moon Knight. Yeah, that, sounds like <laughs> Steven, <laughs> that sounds like Stephen uh. Grant. But have you got Moon Knight or have you got Mr. Knight? Oh. Because I think the suited and booted one is an option as well. Is there one for Werewolf After Dark? I think Werewolf by Night is an option, yeah. There's a little list of them all inside the packet. What do we think? What do we, who do we think He looks like is? a werewolf. He's definitely a werewolf. Yeah. He's got like he could be an ears X-Man. and stuff. Is it Chewbacca? Crossover. <laughs> Disney own all. I reckon he must be Werewolf by Night. Cool. I don't know. Is there a Werewolf X-Man? Well. Maybe. Wolverine. Wolverine, yeah. Pizza Dog actually comes with a pizza. I never watched Werewolf by Night. Here to have a piece left over. Yeah, they give you spares in yeah. case you lose them. I'm not that careless. I mean, I dropped the torso on the floor, but I've got the rest of it. <laughs> oh, he's got a cape! <laughs> <laughs> so excited. I think, d- does he have a double face as well? He does. He has yeah. a face on the back of his head, very much like uh, Voldemort. And it's quite creepy. So that was the Nerdfest unboxing debut. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they were suitably nerdy. You've got some good people. They are. They're amazing. I love it. Thank you so much, Dan. Cheers, Dan. Uh, you've got one for Hazel as well, Andy. Uh, yeah. And it is a collection of Lego pieces. I think she has another Moon Knight. <laughs> it's another Moon Knight. Let's have a run on Moon Knight. Is it Moon Knight or Moon's Knight? Would you like to swap it for a werewolf so you don't have two Moon Knights? Very 
Possibly. Do you desperately not want to have a I, werewolf? No, I don't mind swapping. Hazel's got a werewolf. Hey. hey! I imagine Peter is just slightly concerned that it's a full moon and that the <laughs> Lego werewolf might <laughs> eat his family. So that was my nerdy gift to the podcast. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Thank you very thanks, much. Yes. And thank you kindly. Yeah. And you all got people from the decent MCU TV series. Yes. No scrolls. I mean, they could be scrolls. They could be scrolls. We don't know, do we? They will be eventually. Oh. Everyone's a scroll. And if everyone's a scroll, it means nobody dying means anything. But that's, that's what they the want. same for the multiverse. Yep, that's my new Christmas number one. Lab Baby's not doing Christmas number one this year. Oh, there's an opening for you. There is an opening. Mm. To sell my soul. <laughs> How much do you reckon you'll get for that, John? I don't know. I think... <laughs> Barely used. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst Daniel is putting his things together, it's time for a buff or bluff where each of our nerds is going to give us three delightful facts on a subject of their choosing. But one of them is a horrible, horrible lie. Dirty lie. Will we catch them out? Let's find out, beginning with Andy Chandler. Well, Stephen Grant voice. (laughs) Ah, I can't. I just can't. (laughs) The cinema of North Korea. Oh. Oh. That was a more enthusiastic response <laughs> than I expected. Um, let's just dive North right Korea's into it. North the bad one. Um, is, you don't know who's is listening, Is it more nuanced John. than that, or is it just, yeah? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. There's the one that you wouldn't go on holiday to, or if you did, you wouldn't come back. Okay. You were allowed to go on holiday there. Michael Palin went. He did. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> um, right, I'm going to uh, just describe to you three films from North Korea, except one of them isn't, one of them is from my brain. Um, so number one, we have Sea of Blood, which is from 1969 and is set during the 1930s in the Japanese occupation of Korea. It follows the life of Sunyo and her family as they suffer numerous tragedies at the hands of the Japanese before eventually gaining the willpower and means to join the communist revolution and fight against their oppressors. It was produced by Kim Jong-il, and is based on an opera supposedly written by Eternal President Kim Il-sung himself. The film is four hours and 20 minutes long. God. Okay. Do people go to the cinema for fun in North Korea? I, I think it's <laughs> uh, mandatory. Okay. Is he, like, theoretically the producer of everything? So it's all from the producer of, and then this other dull, boring thing they made you sit through? Actually, no. Kim Jong-il at this time was just the heir apparent. Um, So he was involved in the Department of Media within Mm. the area of propaganda. I don't know how... He was was like a massive film buff though, wasn't he? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And he Mm. he saw uh, cinema as a great opportunity to spread propaganda and to um, big up North Korea on the world stage. Don't know how well that worked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of people being forced to attend entertainment, I do know that the biggest attendance for a wrestling event in history happened in North Korea in the mid-1990s. Mm. And there was something like 103,000 people there for an event that was called the Peace Festival, where Japanese wrestlers and people from America and all over the world came and performed to the North Koreans. 103,000-odd people there, but all of them were required to be there. Mm. I think it's a bit racist calling North Koreans odd, don't you? Oh. <laughs> I've never met anyone from North Korea. Wouldn't it be great if we could mandatorily enforce people to come to our shows? <laughs> Make marketing so much easier. Yeah, it would. Wow. It's a bit late for an advert, John. <laughs> the, the problem was none of them knew what they were going to be watching mm. or how to react or what it was or what was going on. So it's basically the North Korean audience screen unseen. <laughs> <laughs> were they confused that they went to a peace festival that was just people fighting? Probably yes, but I don't think it would have been explained to anyone. They were just told they had to attend and fill the stadium so it looked good. Right. Sorry, Andy. Not digression. Quite all right. You know more about North Korea than I do, so this is padding out my segment quite nicely. Number two uh, is the rays of Junche spread across the universe. Um, I'll point out at this stage that Junche is the state ideology of self reliance through political, economic, and military independence. Oh, I've, I've seen this one. I thought you might have, yeah. It's, it's got you written all over it. Uh, so in 1980, North Korea established a space agency called the Korean Committee of Space Technology. To promote and celebrate this new agency, and in the wake of the international success of Star Wars, a propaganda film was produced. In the film, 
Glorious North Korean cosmonauts are the first to set foot on Mars, but are soon followed by jealous American imperialists who intend to take over the Korean base. The inept Yankees suffer technological failures, however, and the noble Koreans save their lives before banishing them from the Red Planet forever. So that's the rays of mm -hmm. Junche spread mm. across the universe by Michael Bay. <laughs> Citation required. And number three is Pulgasari from 1985, and this is a kaiju film based on a legendary metal-eating creature from Korean folklore. In feudal Korea, an evil king rules with an iron fist and subjects the people to misery and starvation. An old blacksmith makes a tiny monster figurine and, with his dying breath, prays to the gods that it will be brought to life to protect the oppressed masses. After coming into contact with the blood of the blacksmith's daughter, the monster comes to life and grows to gigantic size. It aids in a peasant rebellion by eating all the metal weapons of the king's armies. But will the monster eventually become a blight on the very people for whom it fights? This was directed by uh, a famed South Korean filmmaker called uh, Shin Sang-ok after he was kidnapped on the orders of Kim Jong-il. Wasn't there an American director who was either paid a lot of money to go to North Korea and show them how to make action movies. Michael Bay. Vinny Harlan went to China. Mm. I think it was China, not North Korea. There was definitely a South Korean film directing couple who had been abducted and were taken to North Korea and kept in prison to make films for Kim Jong-il. So. And I'm pretty sure one of them was a communist Godzilla film. Okay. So I think number three mm. is true on that basis. The Mars one. The rays of Junche spread across the universe. Now, I have a theory on this. Okay. That it's the only one with an English title, and Andy wouldn't have gone to the effort to be lazy not translating title. it into Korean. The first one was called Sea of Blood, and the third one was called Pulgasari, which, as we know, is uh, an English word. Ah. It's a, a type of sausage that you get in Somerset. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking more North Korea is its own thing, and outside is bad. So Mars would be very bad. So would they do a film where it's set anywhere but, but North Korea? It is the red planet. That's a good point. Mm. Do they consider themselves that? They're communists. Or is that, is, that, is that an American term for communism? I mean, the first one just sounds like if Andy had tried to describe his dream movie. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's just silly. My dream movie is the 1927 version of um, Napoleon by Abel Gantz, which is five and a half hours long and has no dialogue at all. Mm. That's the one that's on three screens, isn't that? I was originally projected on three yeah. screens. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Luckily, not one of my Buffalo Bluffs. That's all right. <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah, Kim Il-sung writing an opera. Allegedly. That then turns into a film. Allegedly wrote an opera. That's four and a bit hours long. That seems plausible. I'm going to go for the guy spreading his wings to Mars, or whatever the title was. The Rays of Juche spread mm. across the universe. That's exactly the one. Yeah. Before I pick, would there be any way of any of us being able to watch these films, or have they only ever been seen in North Korea? I know that it's hard for people to get out, but do the films go worldwide? Um, I believe it is possible to find them, though they're not widespread. None of them are on Netflix. No. I looked for the Godzilla one a while back and couldn't find it. What's okay. their IMDb score? <laughs> I didn't bother to look that up. Let's make it up now. Um, <laughs> sea of Blood, um, 3 out of 10. Um, the Rays of Juche spread across the universe, 3 out of 10. Um, Pulgasari, 11. 11. Mm. Mm. What do you two guys think? I think it's Mars. I think it's Mars. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> no, um, that's just not true. Um, Hazel and I have been watching For All Mankind recently. Uh, season four is on the go at the moment, and they're on Mars, and the North Koreans have a presence there. Ah. And I thought I'd mm -hmm. sprinkle some of that in there, because I think you're all not watching it, and no. I want you to feel shame about it. I'm very glad to announce that Pulgasari is a real film, and I speak to all of our listeners, but in a real sense, just to Ian Mayer, um, <laughs> Pulgasari, P-U-L-G-A-S-A-R-I, it's available on YouTube, look it up, you can watch it, Ian. Woohoo! Giant metal-eating monster. I can hear him from across the void. Who would like to go next? Uh, I can, if you like. Who would like to go next? <laughs> I, I would like Peter to go next. Very well, Peter, you may go next. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, mine are about movie cars and TV. Number one, 
Filming the Dukes of Hazard TV show used over 256 Dodge Chargers to play the General Lee because they kept breaking them. Mm. Number two. For Miami Vice, John Johnson famously drove a Ferrari, except he didn't. For the first two seasons, it was a fiberglass Ferrari Spider replica on a Corvette body. Ferrari filed a lawsuit and donated two Testarossas on condition they would no longer use the replicas. Mm-hmm. And number three. 60s movie Bullet is about to get a sequel from Steven Spielberg, starring Bradley Cooper. Really? Yeah, I know. I hadn't heard that either. Bluff. <laughs> <laughs> but the bluff is... Well, the oh, the bluff is... Oh, oh, possibly the... Excellent. Dan, do you want to go next? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the fact... Would you ever Paxman him? <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, the original movie is most famous for its brilliantly edited car chase sequence. Actor Steve McQueen did all of his own driving throughout the 10-minute sequence. Hmm. Is that the one in San Francisco? With the VW car that you see about 15, 16 times while they're racing through the streets. Was it actually a VW car or was it um, a fiberglass chassis over the top of <laughs> I it? I think that was a real mini. one. Though apparently it was a control vehicle. That was one of the ones that they used to kind of monitor what was happening and keep in contact with everyone. That's why you keep seeing it. I have seen none of these. I think Dukes of Hazard had a lot of car chases and car crashes yeah, in it. it did. And a lot of and going over ramps and through yes. barns and stuff like that. So. Yahoo. A lot so, of casual racism. Yes. Confederate Two, flags. Yeah. yeah. Was it 256 of them yes. went through. And was this Some throughout... say it's 325, but I went for the lower figure. Was this throughout the entire run of the, the series? It was. I think it ran five or six series. So that's like a common episode. Something like that. It was also hugely popular. It's a real big hit. It's 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 a lot of cars, but I think that is believable. I think it's too many cars. Were there multiple car events per episode? Well, there were. In particular, they quite often used to jump over the ditches. For that, they would stick five hundred pounds of concrete or sand in the boot to tip the car up so the nose didn't land first, and then they'd jump it over a creek. It used to happen all the time in that series, basically. <laughs> Can't be good for the suspension. Why they needed 256 of them. Exactly. Science. Oh, 256 lots of suspensions. Mm. Suspenders, they're called. Yes. I find it hard to suspension my disbelief <laughs> okay. on that question. Okay. And then the second one is Miami Vice. Yes. Which may or may not have had Ferraris. So it had fake Ferraris for mm. the first two seasons until Ferrari took exception at that. Why did they take exception? Because their brand was being represented by something that actually wasn't the real car. Did it look identical, or can you tell when you look at it that it's not a Ferrari? An expert might be able to tell. I mean, they obviously knew. Mm -hmm. Mm. But they sent them some actual Ferraris instead of just taking them As part of the deal they ended up striking. Right, okay. I can believe that for the the first couple of seasons, the uh, studio might... Want Ferraris, but not want to spend on Ferraris. Mm. So I could see that mm. being a thing. Yeah, and if it wasn't an immediate hit, but became really popular, that's when you as a car company might want to get on board. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, are you familiar with the show? I know it existed. Something at Crockett and Tubbs. Yeah. Maybe Colin Farrell. That was a oh, film. That, movie. that was a film. Yeah. Hawaiian Shirts. Uh, or is that Magnum? More, mm-hmm. Actually, it's kind of popularised the wearing a T-shirt and wearing a suit over the top. Okay. That, that became okay, a right. thing That's that, that one. Yeah. sort of Armani right. look. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly it was conceived with a two-word memo from the head of NBC that just said MTV Cops. But in fact, the creator claims it came from when he found out that cops were allowed to use the property of drug dealers for official use. So that gave the idea that they would actually disguise themselves as drug dealers and use that to catch drug dealers. So have you played Grand Theft Auto Vice City? Yeah, great game. Yeah, that's yeah. very much okay. Miami Vice inspired. The leads apparently wore five to eight different outfits per show. And the show had a $10,000 music budget per episode, much higher than other shows at the time, so they could use the real music. Mm. They got the suits from TK Maxx, but then they put a fiberglass sashi on the top. Make like Armani. I imagine that was probably why we don't see it streaming then, if it's got all the music. It could be. There was, there's been a lot of problems with TV shows on the 80s. I think, like, Moonlighting has only just got a release, mainly because of the nightmare of they would license the music for TV, but not for whatever streaming is. Oh, right. Moonlighting. There's a lot of DVDs as well, I think, that had different soundtrack, like library music mm-hmm. replacing the soundtrack into episodes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
So, um, fact number three, the one that you mm-hmm. described as a bluff. <laughs> <laughs> what was that one? Very, very Freudian, that was. That was that um, Steve McQueen did all of his own driving throughout the 10-minute sequence. Of course. Of this movie that's quite famous for how good its chase sequence is. He was a big car nerd, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Like he, he liked his cars and his driving and his things. Did he not do his big motorbike thing in The Great Escape? I'm sure there's a famous Steve McQueen chase scene on the, the motorbike and that's is. actually him. I yeah. don't, don't know if it is him or not. I've not seen The Great Escape. Sorry. Don't know, it could be a different film. I think it is The Great Escape. Yeah. Don't tell my dad. The, the bit where Richard Attenborough gets on the bus but accidentally says the wrong language and then they know that he's not who he claims to be. It's exciting. Are we doing ASMR again? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. <Sorry. laughs> Yeah, Steve McQueen, probably a good driver. Yeah. Did he not do a film about he the He was Mons like the Tom Cruise of his day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Or something yeah. Like, yeah, okay. The Mons. I can understand, like, doing lots of shots of him in the car, but when you've got, like, the car from reverse doing a skid around the corner and stuff, and you can't actually see who's in it. Because he wanted to, and he's the star. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the Tom Cruise fashion. And that way he could claim that he did. Because having oh, yeah. seen Dead Reckoning Part 1, the person jumping off that cliff on the motorbike did not need to be Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, true. But because he's Tom Cruise, they had him do it. So I could see Steve McQueen having a similar star power pull and just saying, I'll do it. I have an idea that early in Tom Cruise's career, some stunt performers made fun of him for his height and he's been trying to put them all out of work since then. <laughs> Five foot seven yeah. Tom Cruise, average height for the time. <laughs> I mean, what they did do is schedule the filming of the chase scene at mm-hmm. the end part of the shooting of the movie. In case he died. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. or was unable to continue filming. Mm. Because he was dead. I mean, uh, they had to cancel filming for two months for Tom Cruise. He was dead. (laughs) No, he wasn't dead. (laughs) All right, Xenu resurrected him. That's Scientology, right? Yeah. You're you're treading (laughs) on thin ice today. You're going after North Korea. You're going for Scientology. Going for short people. Is it Putin next? (laughs) Probably. So, short people. I saw the trailer for Priscilla, the Elvis wife biopic, which is... The Elvis wife. Sophia Coppola. As, he, as she was known. <laughs> and if you watch the trailer, it looks interesting, but the actor playing Elvis Presley is very, very tall, and the actor playing Priscilla is very, very short. And you can just see them straining to try and keep them both in shots using various really weird yeah. camera angles and everything, to the point where I found it really, really off-putting watching them. Clearly, they've had to shoot this at this angle, so... You can tell that just from the trailer? Just from the trailer, yeah. Especially what the movie's th- like. They should have just had her stand on a box and he should have stood in a trench. Mm. The obvious well, they used solution. To do. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's anything else Tom Cruise still does. There's lots mm. of shots where he's oh. mysteriously higher than his girlfriend. And yeah. then the blood goes psh, in mm-hmm. slow motion. And Elvis couldn't stand in the trench because the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard was jumping over it. Ah, it's all Too connected. Dangerous. It's mm. all connected. In which case, um, I'm going for, even though it sounds true, I'm going for fact number three as the bluff because Peter said it was a bluff. <laughs> okay. I'm going for fact number three, uh-huh. and I think on the basis that probably he did most of it and they they sold it as him doing it all, like in the publicity and stuff, but it was actually a, a lie. I have no idea, but I'm going to say fact number two because uh-huh. I don't think Ferrari would just go, oh, yeah, have some Ferraris. Particularly if, like, they go, now we've got some Ferraris, let's Dukes of Hazard that shit and went through 250 <laughs> of them. <laughs> wow. Okay, Dukes of Hazard. That was true. They did get through anything up to 325 different versions of that car. To the extent that they actually start to run out of the right type of car, they had to send spotter planes out to look for people driving around in similar cars that they could then buy the cars off. And... For the last season, they quite often end up jumping remote control cars over a ditch instead. <laughs> and for others, they use like driverless cars, like an aircraft carrier launch system to throw it over the ditch so they didn't have anyone in the car. They should have just driven around the ditch. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. They were basically trying to outrun the police cars. So typically the police car then would follow them and go, and all the wheels would fall off. Like a clown car. That's pretty much how it would work. Every episode. And they did that gag again and again and again. Also, by the end, they would reuse footage from earlier mm. episodes because it was the same car jumping over a ditch. So how many different views of it do you need? What was the TV series with the helicopter Blue Thunder? Yes, which is shot from the movie, didn't it? Yeah, so certainly in the first season, every shot of a helicopter in the TV series is just footage from the movie. It's yeah. in. <laughs> but why were there so many ditches in that area of America? Was it the same ditch every time? <laughs> possibly 
still the when there is the footage. Why didn't they just go around to the house and arrest them? When they were <laughs> <in>? <laughs> it's quite a distinctive car, isn't it? Yeah. It would be a short series if you did that, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? It was actually based on a real uh, booze runner, apparently. Oh. Yeah, there was a real person who used to do it that they basically took the story idea from. Miami Vice? That is true. Oh, yes. They did have a dispute with Ferrari over that. They had lots of guest people like Phil Collins, Miles Davis, James Brown, two and Duran Duran, that sort of thing. And at one point, Sheena Easton was his wife. There's some real reason to link lots of music people in there. Mm. And the one I bluffed <laughs> is the one about Bullet. And it is for the reason John said, which is basically insurers wouldn't allow them to do it. Certainly everyone knows he did most of the driving. I don't mm-hmm. know whether they believe he did all of it. But I thought you might fall for that one. Well, I would have. Yeah. <laughs> According to the guy who played Bo Duke, because it's the same car in both, mm-hmm. they used sounds taken from Bullet to dub under the cars driving around in <laughs> Dukes of Hazzard. Hmm. Interesting. Apparently that new movie that no one's heard about isn't exactly a straight remake. It's a new idea centred on the same character, but it's almost certain to have a huge big car chase sequence in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. I am going to enter the world of comic book crossovers. There's lots of film crossovers, Alien vs. Predator, Freddy vs. Jason, but you know it's quite expensive to do that, to get all the characters and so on, and also you have that kind of tonal inconsistency pitting one set of characters from one universe against another. But in the world of comic books, where IP is freer and looser, and the imagination is the limit, there have been some pretty odd crossovers over the years. Number one, Ghostbusters versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles unlock an ancient demon that somehow sends them into a parallel dimension where the Ghostbusters exist. The Ghostbusters initially assume that the Turtles are demons, but in the end they team up to destroy the real threat. Was it called Secrets of the Who's? No. (laughs) (laughs) Number two is Goonies versus Aliens. When a spaceship is found crashed in the middle of America, the Goonies decide to explore it to see if there is some hidden treasure. But in fact, there is only aliens. The final episode of the series concludes with Sloth in a power loader fighting the alien queen, echoing the conclusion of aliens. I was going to say, oh, fuck off, but it's comics, isn't it? So mm, that yeah. could happen, yeah. Number three, Doctor Who versus Star Trek The Next Generation. When Doctor Who's TARDIS lands in the Enterprise, the Doctor and Picard form an uneasy alliance to fight their dual foes. Yes, the Borg and the Cybermen, together at last. That sounds a bit familiar. Mm. I don't know, it's a mad fever dream. Can you give us dates on any of these crossovers? So was this Doctor Who, Next Gen 1, while Next Gen was on the air? Which is the time period where Doctor Who wasn't? No, I think, I think it's fairly more recent. Okay. Yeah, because it's Matt Smith is the Doctor, Amy and Rory, so that dates it around 2010? Mm. Star Trek The Next Generation didn't have a huge amount of cultural heft around 2010, did it? Year after the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek, so you'd think if there'd been a crossover... It would have been original series. Hmm. Now, I think you're more likely to do this stupid crossover when your franchise is done. Had a while in its normal territory. So if it's like Star Trek meets Batman or something, Mm. that'd be good. Batman's fought a lot of people. Batman's fought Dracula, Judge Dredd. Dracula is the obvious one. Aliens, I think. Batman had an Aliens mm. and Predator crossover. Did the Goonies, though? Goonies had an Aliens one, yet. Yeah. That one's true. That one's true, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Must be true. Clears that up. <laughs> you hoped he would fall for the same trick, didn't yeah. you? a little bit. <laughs> I find that one hardest to believe. Goonies, Aliens. Yeah. I think um, there's, there's more of a stark juxtaposition between... Uh, Total difference, two, isn't it? Which is, is the kind of thing they might do in comics, but I think yeah. it's more likely the kind of thing John would make uh, up. The Goonies crossing over with another Amblin property like E.T., mm-hmm. if they're going to do Aliens, you could kind of see. I mean, there was Archie versus Predator. That was a real one, so total inconsistency certainly is a thing. Yeah. First one was Ghostbusters and the Turtles. Yeah. Are we talking mm. the film Ghostbusters or the real Ghostbusters? Film Ghostbusters. Okay. 
I think it was a comic series that was Ghostbusters meet Ghostbusters, where the real Ghostbusters meet the <laughs> really? film Ghostbusters. Yes, um, and I think the Kristen Wiig Ghostbusters turn up in that as well. Never heard of it. And they resolve all of that what's right <laughs> and what's isn't by, I think, going multiverse with it. Ah, fun. fun. Everybody loves multiverses. It's <laughs> always good because it's more. Yeah, if less is more, think how much more more could be. It would be a lot more. It would yeah. be more than anyway. more. Turtles versus Ghostbusters, yeah, those are two pretty big 80s going into 90s properties. You could see them wanting to do as much stuff with both those things as possible. You can imagine them being tonally similar as well. Yeah. Mm. And there's four of each of them. Yep, perfect. They Everyone both, they all like pizza, probably. One romantic pairing each. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I'm going to go for Goonies versus Aliens because that feels like something John would make up. Yeah. Yeah. That was my logic too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were all correct. But, <laughs> but oddly enough, until midday, it was Goonies versus E.T. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I changed my mind because I couldn't think of how you would combine uh-huh. those two storylines. Or fan bases. I just thought they were possibly too similar. Yeah, both childhood wonder. Kind of. mm. If you're not careful, I will start talking about E.T.'s in The Phantom Menace and then you'll be sorry. So that means yeah, they're in the same universe. They're in the Senate. This past week, our 15-year-old nephew has been staying with us. He was doing some work experience with Hazel, and we sat and watched some films on a night, and I showed him the 1954 Godzilla. We watched Back to the Future, but he also chose a couple of films, which is why I have recently seen The Phantom Menace again. Two out of ten. Appalling film. (laughs) Did your nephew not like you? I assume it's some sort of punishment. No, he thinks it's good. Had he seen Back to the Future before? He hadn't seen Back to the Future. Ah. He loved it. They were lucky. Phantom Menace is better than Rise of Skywalker. Is, is syphilis better than herpes? I mean, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did see the ETs in uh, Phantom Menace. And, uh, Cheered. I thought, yeah. Applauded. Yeah, they, uh, Stood no, up and I went, yes. Thought, yeah, there they are. They don't know what's going on either. <laughs> they also have no personality. <laughs> They're Come also on. shit CGI. Stop. Have we all done? No. No. We still have Napoleon. Yes, so we do. Yes, if we finish now, we'd be a little short, like Napoleon, because he was short. Five foot seven. (laughs) Dan, what have you got? Uh, I have got three facts about Napoleon in the movies, because there is a new movie out about Napoleon by Ridley Scott. Contentious movie. Well, apparently, yeah, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how much of this is the fact that Ridley Scott's got a grumpy old man gimmick now. Yeah, and it's a very entertaining gimmick. I've enjoyed his interviews. Yeah. So it's now, it, so me, now right? it's just all playing up to it. So every Ridley Scott interview has to have a grumpy old man quote in it. A little bit like every time anyone mentions Martin Scorsese, they have to shoehorn in his opinion about Marvel. Right. Even mm. when it's got nothing to do with anything. So I'm not sure how much of that is Ridley genuinely being grumpy and how much of it is him playing up to the gimmick. Well, I hope he's playing up to it because he's been a fucking prick. Yeah. <laughs> but... If if that is the way where he gets publicity for mm-hmm. the film, mm-hmm. is I I don't know. Maybe I'm just too cynical and don't want to believe that a man in his eighties is grumpy about things. <laughs> anyway, th- there's a new Napoleon film out. I would like to see it. I know that it's not going to have historical accuracy, but then it's a film. If I wanted historical accuracy, I could read a book about Napoleon. And you would. And I would, but there are so many books. But he's also featured in the films sometimes, including his most recent portrayal by Joaquin Phoenix, which apparently is quite good. Depends who you ask. Mm. Yeah, it's been very mixed reviews. Apparently there's a four-hour version popping up on Apple TV Okay, fairly soon. He does like a long director's cut, Mr. Scott. Yes. Uh, I would like to see it in the cinemas, Mm -hmm. and hopefully will. But here are three facts about Napoleon in the movies. Number one, Ian Holm appeared as Napoleon in several different movies. In fact, he played Napoleon in more different movies than he played Bilbo Baggins. Mm. They played Bilbo Baggins in four, five? Number two. Napoleon is the most portrayed historical figure in movie history. As of 2015, he'd been played nearly 200 times. Mm. And number three. The first movie about Napoleon was in a film by one of the Lumiere brothers, one of basically the inventors of cinema. Uh It was made in 1897, long enough ago that there would have been people alive who remembered the actual Napoleon. 
<laughs> Fun. I like that. So when did Napoleon mm. die? 1821-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can confirm it was 1821. <laughs> mm. Trust me. Early 1820s. I know Ian Holm... I could see him in a Napoleon totally, outfit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Was he yeah. in Time Bandits was one of them? I can tell you that Time Bandits was one of the times yeah. he has played Napoleon. I won't tell you others, nor will I tell you how many there are, but I will say he is not Bilbo in all of the Middle Earth films. No, he plays Bilbo in the start of Fellowship and at the end of Return of the King. I'm not sure Bilbo shows up in The Two Towers. And isn't it always Martin Freeman in the Hobbit films? Mm. So that'd be twice. I, I think it might. At the bookend. very start, it's bookended with Ian Holm to link them together. I just wish I hadn't made. The or Hobbit was films. he not well enough to do it? Was he going to do it, but he wasn't well at that point? Unless I'm thinking of somebody else. But I have some memory of Peter Jackson talking about going to see him and his wife, and his wife basically saying, "Nope." Hmm. This may or may not have happened with Ian Holm. Something similar did happen with Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. who was too old to fly to New Zealand, so filmed all of his scenes yeah. in Britain and got superimposed into the scenes he would have been in. Mm. Possibly Christopher Lee's last film? Oh, I don't know. That's, no, that's aside um... from the Napoleon point. I don't think Christopher Lee ever played Napoleon. He couldn't have played Napoleon because he was too tall. He could have stood in a trench. <laughs> <laughs> or had <laughs> every other actor stand in a box. Exactly, and the blood goes <laughs> in slow motion. Which, if that, that is a Monty Python reference, mm. leave it in, please. <laughs> How loosely do you use the term historical figure? Because, for example, Dracula was based on Vlad the Impaler, who was an historical figure, and I would say there's more than 200 Dracula movies. But he's based so on... He's, he's not. Um, I would say that if you are playing Count Vladimir of Wallachia in the 1400s, that's a historical figure. If you are playing a fictional vampire inspired by a real person, that is not a historical mm-hmm. figure. I'm claiming he's a vampire. It's <laughs> the giveaway. If you're playing Henry Irving, the actor who may have inspired the character of Dracula, that's your historical figure. So who would your other candidates be then? I mean, just just at first glance, it feels like a really good shout that he would be most portrayed. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd have people like Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth, Henry VIII. Have all had many but portrayals. They're, I mean... Most... And any Shakespeare monarch... Yeah, yeah. oddly I was thinking Shakespeare himself probably pops up in an awful lot of things. We're thinking all English um, individuals now and Napoleon's fame has kind of um, Being French. gone all over the world. Um, mm. how much oh, did, yeah. uh, in, in America, how much do they care about Henry, Henry VIII? He's one of the only British historical figures a lot of Americans know mm. about, largely because of the films. And then you've got someone like Caesar. Does Robin Hood mm. have a, any degree of no. actual... Basis, or is you probably wouldn't count him as a historical figure, even in the 14th, 15th century. He was a figure of stories that people would tell. Yeah, there may have been several outlaws around that time who called themselves Robin Hood, but mm-hmm. because of the stories that right. already existed, okay. if that makes uh, sense. Yeah. King Arthur, the, I King know that's Arthur. slightly disputed in terms yeah. of his uh, like where he was based and all that sort of I'm stuff. I'm not sure there's evidence that there was an mm. actual Arthur, King of the Britons. Oh, I've got one. Uh, regardless of your religious leanings, it's fairly settled that there was a historical figure called Jesus, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So Jesus as a historical figure that probably... must have been in yeah. hundreds of films. Yeah. Who would win in a fight, Jesus or Napoleon? <laughs> oh, Is he allowed to bring his armies? Can Jesus bring his dad? <laughs> <laughs> Joseph? Not without checking his birth certificate. Yeah, I feel so sorry for Joseph going to the pub and telling his mates that his virgin wife is pregnant and it's Definitely God, honest, mate. <laughs> so there's someone in there probably looking in the pine going, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want that to go in or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy for that to go in. As God said to Mary. Yeah, so um, Jesus must have popped up in hundreds of films as like visions and things like that. And mm, the point. I don't know. I think that the idea of him is tied up in myth. I mean, if he's appearing in visions as the Christ, then that's the mythological Rather than, of, rather than the actual kind of itinerant rabbi who potted around a couple of thousand years ago and got a lot of stories made up about him. Okay, so I think this one is true because yeah. it, he's looking stressed that we've loopholed him. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go true. Yeah, I reckon true for that one. That feels good. Yeah, I'm going to go true. 
The third one sounds like the least made up one, but also the Ian Holm one feels true. What was the third one again? third one is that the first film about Napoleon is Lumiere Brothers by one of the Lumiere Brothers and was made in 1897. I mean, they were French. Yeah. We? It seems a good subject. I believe all of them. That's the idea. Yeah. I, I am a master of strategy, much like Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> They're all true because we weren't there, were we, Ridley Scott? So we, we don't know what happened. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Stupid old man. I'm going to go for number three. The Lumiers. Yes, being the bluff. Uh, I'll go for number two. I'm going for Ian Holm. I reckon maybe he never played um, Napoleon and it's a different actor. So by each picking one answer, one of you is guaranteed to win in a clever move, not unlike that of Napoleon. <laughs> and we split the prize money, right? Yeah. 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 Now uh, I take all the prize money and send you off to live on an island. Don't lick the wallpaper at me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Andy's right. Yay! Yeah. So uh, the final score is three films for Napoleon, four for Bilbo. Oh, so man. he's in two Lord of the Ringses and he's in two of the Hobbits. Two Hobbits as well. Two Hobbits. Mm. And Time Bandits is one of the Napoleon appearances for Ian Holm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were two others. Can't remember their names. One of them was in the 90s and it's when he's on the tiny island and his soldiers, not quite a weekend at Bernie's, but they body double him so that the real Napoleon can sneak away. And ah. go back to France. Ah. Hmm. He is, according to the Guinness World Records website, the most portrayed historical figure in cool. film. Hmm. So, uh, the most recent number I could find was from 2015, which was 194 different portrayals. Wow. So by now, it's probably over 200. Yeah, probably. Uh, I did see one website that had Jesus as second most, mm-hmm. but I'm going with the official Guinness ruling. And also, he wasn't real. How many of those 200 films... So there films... goes the Christians and Andy's side. <laughs> <laughs> How many of those 200 Napoleon films were uh, porn parodies? It didn't list them. Uh, nor did IMDb when I had a look. Was it Napoleon Bonaparte? Exactly. I mean, oh. it's, it's right there. So they look down and go, you're a little short. <laughs> Average height. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the first Napoleon film was from 1897. So theoretically, mm. people who would have actually known of him, if not known him and met him, could have seen the first film about him. But the Lumiere film about Napoleon is only 42 seconds long. Well, still it counts. still counts. Yeah. still counts. That's a little short. That, that is a little short. Average height. Average. So, so there we go, yeah. Napoleon. Mm. So um, I'm, I think I know the answer to this question. Like, we, we made lots of Napoleon short jokes and you've responded with average height. Where does the myth of Napoleon being short come from? Was it his enemies at the it's, time? It's, it's a British political propaganda. Yeah. Uh, the French measured inches differently. What? So he was something like five foot one by French measurements, but by British measurements, he would have been about five foot seven, which was the average height for people at the time. But the British, using any kind of political propaganda tools at their disposal to make him seem less of a threat than ah. he was, mm. used political cartoons and things to go, oh, Napoleon, he's really, really short, isn't he? He's only five foot whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the reputation that stuck at least in this country. I thought that's why he had the big hat, to make him look yeah. taller. No, it's because he was an admiral. Mm-hmm. So, historically, where does the phrase not tonight Josephine come from? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> and where can I get one of these magic rulers that will give me a couple of extra inches? Go back, <laughs> go back to France in the late 18th century, you'll be fine. But not as many big-name famous actors have played Napoleon mm. as other historical figures. So Marlon Brando was a big one. Yeah. In the 1950s with a film called Desiree that Brando hated, but Laurence Olivier saw and said that it was one of the best mm-hmm. acting performances he'd ever seen. But it came out the same year as On the Waterfront. Mm. So nobody talks about that one. Yeah. And we nearly got Jack Nicholson. Nearly. With um, um, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Tried to make a Napoleon film. Steven Spielberg's apparently going to try and make a limited series about him. So the number of portrayals mm. is still increasing. Bill mm. and Ted being the best one. Quite right. Ziggy Piggy. Mm-hmm. I went to London and I saw the Kubrick exhibit. They had all the research he'd done for the film. It was just insane. There was a filing cabinet with a filing card for every single day of Napoleon's life, where oh. he was, what he was doing. Wow. A bit too much, isn't it? But I think, I think Waterloo came out and didn't do well and that kind of scuppered it. Yeah, quite a good film, though. I quite enjoyed mm-hmm. Waterloo. Uh, obscure fact that John might enjoy that I didn't put in the Buffer Bluff. 
the coat that Marlon Brando wore as Napoleon was reused by Jack Nicholson, who didn't get to play Napoleon, in a Roger Corman film called The Terror Ooh. in the 60s. Mm. Same That's an interesting fact. But it was too obscure to put in my buffer bluff. Right. <laughs> anyway. Even for John. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's the end of our episode. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed it, then we would love you to X us, Facebookers, is MySpace a thing? I don't know. Whatever the cool kids are doing, just drop a thing on there saying how much you enjoyed the show. And if you did, Mr. Daniel Watkins has a special treat for you. I will take you to Corsica, enlist you in the French army, rise you through the ranks until you are a general, get you into a position where you can take full control of the French army to the point where you are not only in charge, you declare yourself emperor, venture into North Africa, get as far east as Russia, we'll have to go back at that point, but that's okay, until with a combination of the Russians coming from the east and the British led by the Duke of Wellington coming through the Portuguese and Spanish peninsula to the west, <laughs> we will sandwich you, defeat you, and put you off to a tiny island in the Mediterranean, but it's okay because after a few months, we will get you back off there, we'll reassemble your armies and try again. We will only get as far as Belgium this time because the British and the Prussians and the Dutch will all team up against us, defeat us in a massive battle that but will later sing about somewhat inaccurately, but as Ridley Scott would say, it doesn't matter. You will then go to an even smaller island in the middle of the Atlantic where you'll live out your remaining days and possibly get poisoned by the wallpaper, then your removed penis will be referenced in succession a couple of hundred years later. Or, you know, I'll get you a Lego minifigure of a Marvel character. <laughs> nice one. So you got that to look forward to? <laughs> so that's everything from us, and you have been listening to... A man of average height. <laughs> a man who did all his own stunts for this episode. A man who is in no danger of being kidnapped to appear on a North Korean podcast. And a man who's planning to kidnap some North Korean directors and force them to make a capitalist Godzilla movie. <laughs> Bye! Bye. <laughs> is that ASMR again? <laughs> <laughs>